from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Welcome. Welcome. It's great to have you here. I'm Sven Erlinson. Welcome to the Badass Counseling Show podcast. Whether you are joining us in the UK or New Zealand, from Canada all the way down to South Africa and Scandinavia, across to the Dumbarton Bridge and across the US to the Verrazano Bridge. It's great to have you tuning in with us today. I am joined in studio by Rob the Rocket. Rob, how are you today? I'm doing very well, Sven. So good to see you as always. And um, I'm just wondering, how often do you think of the Roman Empire? That's the thing going around nowadays. Oh, I, you I, think it is. I right. really don't think about it very often, yeah. uh, but I don't even know if I think about it more or less than sex. So that's, I don't know what to do with that question. <laughs> we are also joined in studio, not up in the booth, by KC. KC, how are you this evening? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Lovely. And what do you have to report, KC? It's This is the second taping in uh, about three weeks that we have had you in on. It's nice to have you down here. Oh, thank you so much. It's nice to be here. Right on, right on. And Rob, we've got uh, an interesting guest this evening and quite a story. We are in the month of October and we are looking at Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Would you go ahead and read us the story, please, Rob, about Cassidy? All right, Sven, happy to. Cassidy wrote into us and said, From 2016 to 2020, I was in an extremely dark place, and I'm pretty sure it was undiagnosed postpartum depression psychosis. There were suicidal moments, and during that time, I know I was abusive in some ways. I remember losing control of myself on multiple occasions. I have large gaps in my memory, so all I really know is I need help. My kids need help, and no one stepped in, either afraid of me or afraid to make things worse or not knowing what was going on. I'm a lot better now, but I know it's because I've developed a thick mask instead of healing. All my kids are close together. I've got five. The oldest is eight. The youngest is 16 months. I'm pregnant with my sixth. I have no idea how to take the space to heal while actively parenting and not making things worse. My oldest two have behavior issues, and I finally got up the courage to get them into trauma therapy. I'm hopeful that I can help my kids not take the issues I gave them into adulthood, but right now I feel like I'm just surviving parenting. I love my kids. Sometimes I regret or resent them, but I really do want to do right by them, and in all reality, they are my world. I know there's a lot to unpack, and I don't really know where to start. I've got your book, and I'm struggling to get through the first few questions, but it's been very insightful so far. I just want to heal so I can be the mom they deserve and maybe be a person I like. Cassidy, welcome to the show. Thank you, son. It's good great, to be here. And it's great to have you here. I'm going to start out by asking, that was quite a mouthful, and there's a lot there. <laughs> uh, you gave me a lot yeah. of sort of loose threads that I can pull on there. But the the one I want to, and there's so many and, and uh, really powerful stuff there, but I want to ask you in particular about this. Um, I want to start here. All I really know is I need help. My kids need help, and no one stepped in. Um, no one stepped in. Uh, it's an interesting comment. It, it seems to imply that you wish someone would have, or what? Uh, during that time frame, my no CPS should have been called. Child it Protective was Services. It really bad. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. And they've been called this year over stupid things, <laughs> like letting them play outside while I use the toilet. Um, like, wow. like really stupid stuff. I was having a really hard day, and the speech therapist decided that that meant because I was buying dog food. I have two dogs. Um, and she called CPS because apparently I feed my children dog food for discipline. I'm like, you're stupid. I'm crying over a whole lot of other stuff going on. And that means I'm going to give them dog food when I get home. Why? So, uh, so obviously, they've right. been called when they don't, they're not needed, but they should have been called years ago. And, and f- recognizing that we are talking about uh, domestic violence um, this month, so many people think it's just domestic violence committed against women, but you are a woman and you were <laughs> engaged in abuse of your children, you say, and you openly admit that Child Protective Services should have been called. I, I want to ask to the degree you're for, I, you feel comfortable sharing, what did you do? Uh, definitely physical, emotional, nonverbal. It was horrible. I don't have very many memories, but I do know I lost my shit. And what of all the memories that you have are you most ashamed of doing? Or saying? Making my children afraid of me. In what way did you do that above all else? I don't remember. Fair enough. Um, You make, and yet you say, you still. I mean, I know I've hit them. You know you've hit them. I I respect Mm -hmm. your honesty. Thank you for admitting that. And that has to be hard to admit. That has to be profoundly humiliating and embarrassing and guilt-inducing. I don't think I could have admitted it six months ago. What's the difference from then till now? Why now? It's too painful not to. Mm. Keeping that truth in. And a big part of it is the fact that after listening to several of your shows, multiple of us are children of domestic violence, and none of us have parents who have taken accountability for their shit. Amen to that. Amen to that. And my domestic violence was not intentional. I'm not cruel on purpose. You know, I, I hate the person I was. And is it safe to say that you sort of, you get overwhelmed by your own feelings so much that you lose yourself? Is that what we're talking about here? Yes. Okay. And you said, uh, and yet back to that original statement, and no one stepped in. Uh, CPS wasn't called. They should have been called, et cetera. And, and then you said, either afraid of me or afraid of made things worse. Other than CPS, who should have stepped in? People who really should have been there in, in general. My parents, no one knew. No one cared. I haven't had people intentionally visit me ever in my travels here, there, wherever. Um, maybe, maybe a couple of times in the last nine years, somebody intentionally decided to come and check and see how I was or how the kids are. Like the grandparents don't shake in on them. They kind of expect me to be the go-between. You you had um, said when we talked about no one stepped in, you said uh, no one cared, no one knew. Well, which was it? Or was it both? Um, no one cared to find out? Probably or is it- a couple of both. No one cared to find out. Uh-huh. No one has. Cassidy's strong. She'll get through it. She's always figured it out. She's a strong one. She, we need to. We need to help her sister. Cassidy's okay. Okay. She'll now you're married. So you're married, right? I, yeah. And your husband knew that you were abusing the children. I, he was also in a very dark place. Agreed. Um, but did he know? Also, was he abusing the children, or was it just you? 
I think I was worse, but he was definitely not very kind to them either. I see. And then you make the comment, uh, no one stepped in either afraid of me or afraid to make things worse. Why would you think people are afraid of you? I've been told I'm intimidating. All right. Um, and what's the what's the benefit of that? Do you is there a part of you that actually likes being intimidating insofar as it keeps people at a distance? I'm not intimidating on purpose. I just don't like my space to be invaded if people aren't going to be in my life genuinely. And so when people get in your space, you tend to do what? I haven't recognized that I mean. I don't feel like I mean. I feel it's less of me being intimidating. You know you don't like them in your space. You know you don't like them in your space. Um, and yet... So do you are do you take deliberate action when they're in your space? So yes, no. What? I wasn't allowed to as a child. But and you do it now. Though. I have no idea. Um, now, in the last few months, I've had to get really deliberate about my boundaries because they've never been respected or honored. Okay. Um, I think I have one person ever who's actually been respectful of my boundaries. And so what you're saying then is. I'm a lot better now, but I know it's because I developed a thick mask instead of healing. What is the nature of your thick mask? I think I should have said more long lines if I went numb. I hide. I cry in my room now, but I went numb. I didn't feel anything for a really long time. You didn't feel anything. You went numb. And was that a deliberate going numb or did it just sort of happen? I knew I had to do something and I knew there wasn't any support. So it was the only thing I felt I could do for myself was at least stop feeling and maybe it would at least not get worse. And when did your pain in your life start? Somewhere between age two and four. Um, why two and four? Why not seven? Over. Why not seven to eight? Why not 14 to 15? Why ages two and four your pain started? Because I know how much my mother screamed. You re so you remember it back that that young? Um, I know from what my dad has told me that it was that early. I don't have memory earlier than age six or seven. Mom screaming. Um, and when you get abusive, is that one of your traits as well? That you the screaming. Yeah. Okay. Did the screaming and the pain in your life, mom screaming and the pain in your life, did it increase with time? decrease with time or was it pretty constant uh, throughout your childhood and teen years? When she stopped yelling, she got real quiet and real close to your face. And it was intimidating. It was, you just need to just do what you're told because otherwise, I mean, it's the fear of God. You don't want to get quiet and close to their face because they're like, oh shit, you're invading my personal space. Why? And you've it, she said it's better than screaming, but honestly, I'd rather have a, a decent conversation than be screamed at or have you in my face. Okay. And the fear then when mom would scream and then get quiet and get in your face, the fear was what? I know that I was afraid of her leaving at point. She claimed it was my dad who left, but I remember her leaving. I was told it was because she was going to work but I wouldn't be chasing after the car crying if she was just going to work. Right. How old were you when that happened? 
I don't know. I know it's before the divorce, so I was younger than six. But I don't know exactly how old I was. Probably about four or five. Four or five. Ish. Wow. And then again, back to my original question: Did mom's, did the uh, mom's abuse and the screaming and then the getting quiet and intimidating? Did the abuse of you? Did the fear in your own home? Increase, decrease, or roughly stay the same over the next, let's say, 10, 12 years? She stopped screaming after the divorce, but the what? intimidation tactics didn't stop. And what was her primary intimidation tactic other than screaming? I mean, she'd get really close to your face. She'd get really quiet, so you'd have to be quiet in order to hear her. And what would you say over the course of your childhood or under the time that you lived uh, under your mother's roof primarily, it sounds like, what would you say was the primary feeling that you felt throughout your childhood? I wasn't good enough. I was never going to be good enough. Hmm. And if I couldn't handle things myself, I was a burden. And I suppose that makes sense, what you were saying earlier when you were talking about people thinking, well, Cassidy's strong, she can take care of herself, etc. I've were, been told that I'm strong and can take care of well, myself. And, that, and what I'm saying is the roots <laughs> of that make sense. If you felt like a burden when you were a child, you were probably hustling, hustling, hustling to not be a burden. And so you're used to hustling, hustling, hustling. Just out of curiosity, um, have you ever in your life, and this may sound like a dumb question, but it's an honest question. Uh, have you ever in your life hated yourself? Oh, absolutely. Okay. And <clears throat> how old are you now? Just out of curiosity. I'm um, 29. I'll be 30 in March. 29, 30 in March. All right. Um, and what would you say your self-hate level is presently? If it's at all, what percent? Like 20%, 47%, 93%, 0%. What would you say? I'd almost say 50-50. depends on the day. Okay. Let's say 50% presently on average. <laughs> Uh, what was the highest it was ever at, your self-hatred? Oh, 100%. I loathed myself in those four years. In which years? In the 2016 to 2020, 2021-ish. And those were the years when you were in the deep depression. Okay. Yeah. And what, I'm, Go ahead. I'm allergic to synthetic hormones, so I actually can't have anti-anxieties <clears throat> or antidepressants. So asking for help? seems kind of stupid. What kind of help are they going to be able to give me? Take me away from my kids? That's not going to happen. They're mine. Mm -hmm. No one's going to love them like me until they're adults and finding their own relationships. Of your ability to love your children, I have no doubt that you love your children very much. And I applaud you. I congratulate you on uh, being pregnant with the sixth. I was the sixth child of six and I am of the absolute belief that the last one is the best one. The sixth is clearly the best. <laughs> um, <clears throat> or the biggest pain in the ass, however you slice it. Um, but let me ask you oh, no, this. Oh, no, that's my second. He's my favorite, and he's also my least at the same time. My second child is my pain in the ass. All right. Love him dearly. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Let me ask you this. <clears throat> what percentage, uh, would you say you're a better parent now than you were let's say, during that period of 2016 to 2021? Absolutely. Oh, okay. So you're saying that you have uh, parented at different levels, different abilities. What would you say is the parenting level you're presently parenting at? Are you at sort of 60% of your ability, 100% of your ability, 14% of your ability to parent? What percent would you say? Maybe 65 70%. I'm definitely not as good of a mom as I can be. 
but I don't know what that would look like yet. I'm working on it. Mm-hmm. So what you're acknowledging then is that I can be a better parent. Um, and Can't everyone, though? Indisputable. It's just great to hear you acknowledge that and so forth. And what do you think is the biggest thing you need to do in order to become a better parent? You say a lot. Shit rolls down. Mm-hmm. My shit needs to stop hitting my kids. Mm-hmm. It's my shit to take care of. Right. Your own shit from your own life. Um, so I want to go back to where we were. We were talking about this idea of self-hatred. Presently, it's at a roughly 50%. And um, it, back about five years ago, it was up at 100%. What's the earliest in your life you recall hating on yourself? Age six. Age six. And you nail that one pretty quickly. Why do you say age six? Because for years, it felt like my fault that my parents divorced each other. Felt like your fault. Is that the standard for you? Was that the standard, gee, they must be divorcing because of my fault? Or was that in any way told to you? Um, I can't remember it ever being told to me. Um, I do know that my mom said a lot of things that weren't true about my dad abandoning us, even Mm -hmm. though she's the one that made him leave. But that Um, wouldn't necessarily contribute to it being your fault. We're talking about the notion of it being your fault. And so what do you recall, if you were to speculate looking backward at age six, what would you say your self-hatred level was when the, when you first felt it? Probably only 70, 80%-ish. I wasn't suicidal at age six, but I didn't like who I was, and I didn't like my situation. And the biggest thing you didn't like about you is what? Is it that you felt guilty for breaking up the marriage, or was it something about you in particular, like who you were? I don't know. Okay. All right. Um, And so of your two parents, who do you feel committed the greater crimes against you? Oh, my mom. And what fundamentally, Um, if you were to boil it down to one sentence or less, what fundamentally was your mom's crime that she committed against you? What are we really talking about here? Lying and manipulation, intimidation, allowing my stepdad to use crass language. Towards you or in general? Oh, towards me. It was always towards me. And what? And so, uh, what was the worst thing that he ever said to you? I don't know specifically what the worst thing would be, but the most consistent thing yeah. was, "What are you stupid?" All right. And you know better than that. What are What are you stupid? And so, is it safe to no, say I'm then? A student. So what's then, is it on? safe to say you grew up believing you were stupid? Or I could always do better. Okay. I was never going to be good enough because if, you know, if it was a straight A's, I could always do better. And in all of mom's lying and manipulation and intimidation, what was the underlying, the fundamental underlying message that your mother conveyed to you? I'm not sure I could hear what the message was. Do your best. I know. That what it, was the underlying message? I mean, it, it's, it, it's, you had to have gotten some sort of message about who you were your worth, what your mother thought of you. All of the lying and the manipulation and the intimidation fundamentally conveyed what message to you? I know my feelings never really mattered unless they made her look good. But that's an adult realization. Wait, that's an adult realization. What was the what was the experience? What was the thought or feeling that you had when you were a six-year-old, when you were an eight-year-old, when you were an 11-year-old? My thoughts, my feelings don't matter. I hated my dad. 
you hated your dad. When I was a kid, I thought it was my dad. Uh, fair enough. But because the question, wait, the question is, what did your mom, what was your mom conveying to you? What was the underlying message or what did you feel about yourself as a result of your mom's lying, manipulation, and intimidation? My dad didn't want us. Didn't want so, us. In uh, men, I wasn't wantable. In retrospect, what was uh, the message that that little girl was getting from her mom? From her mom, not about dad, but just from mom. What was that little girl feeling from her mother? What did that little girl think her mother thought of her? I don't think I felt like she she didn't like me until I was a little older. I don't think she, I don't think I thought negative things towards my mom until I was in my early teens. What did, but um, that's not the question. The question is, what was the message you were getting from her about yourself? What did she think of you? Not that I'm not important. And how did your mother convey to you that you're not important? Because I've never been the priority. So I said my sister or anybody else for that matter. I see. I see. Um, and so you say you did not like yourself at age six, right? Right. Okay. I want to come back to this. But for right now, we're just going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. You've heard Sven talk a lot about his book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. And that's because Sven hears from his followers a lot about how much the book has helped them. If you're not sure how to handle the issues getting in the way of a better life, you're not alone. And you have a lot of choices. But thousands of readers will tell you that this is a great place to start, by yourself and at your own pace. So go to badasscounseling.com and order There's a Hole in My Love Cup, and you'll have Sven right there with you as you forge your best future. It's totally badass. So get started today. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with Cassidy. Cassidy, so far you've been very open. I really, really appreciate that. And I, I respect it. It's hard to not only share shit from our past, but especially as you were talking about your own abuse of your own children, that you openly shared, uh, you know, some of the stuff. And it's it's got to be hard to talk about. What do you think the link is? You talked about this whole notion, and, you know, I talk about it as well, this notion of sort of shit rolls downhill. What do you think the link is between what was done to you and what you've done to your children? And perhaps, though in lesser degrees, maybe still do to your children. What do you think the link is? in your specific case between how you were treated by your mother, by your father, by your stepfather, and how you treat your own children? And you never had control of anything. Not really, anyway. It's really hard to not be in control. And allowing children to have their space and feel in control of themselves, especially when your mental health is not good, is almost impossible. It was, I think the link has a lot to do with no autonomy, no control. I didn't have control over really anything. And so are you over control? Are you over controlling of your children then? Is that what you're saying? I think that's a flaw I'm trying to work on. I don't like it. I recognize it. 
Um, a lot of times now I can go back and say, hey, mom wasn't super awesome. We need to change that. But I had a really, really hard time apologizing to them when I was little. Well, when they were littler, and, not when I was little. And the reason, really and the reason you had a hard time apologizing to your children is what? I think it was because it was embarrassing and I knew better. And at what point did your feelings regarding uh, apologizing change? I read a book called Parenting Without Damage and Parenting Right from the Start by Dr. Vanessa LaPointe out of Canada. Mm-hmm. If you haven't read them or... Okay. Where are you going with this? How yeah. did that change your view on uh, apologizing? She talked a lot about connection and how parenting conventionally whether we view it as trauma or not, is traumatic for kids. Mm-hmm. And how she gave a lot of tools in those books on how to shift things in your home. And one of those presumably was apologizing? Oh, yeah. I kids see. are human too. If you don't apologize to them now, they're not going to be apologizing to their kids either. And, and, kids are just kids, and, right? Presumably, and then the apology comes with changed action as well, right? Should. You should. should, anyway. Has it yeah. with you? Most of the time. Sometimes it's taken some time for the changes to really make a difference. Yeah, yeah, change does take time. But I time. feel like it got bad enough mm-hmm. that now that I'm really trying to do better, the difficulty now is they don't see that I'm going to do better. They don't have any trust that I can, and it makes it hard to have trust in myself that I can. So your oldest child is eight years old, and already at eight years old, he doesn't, he or she doesn't, your seven-year-old doesn't trust you. It depends on the day and what's going on. Yeah, there are times when he's like, no, you're not, even though I have been making changes for quite a while. How does it feel to know your seven-year-old oldest child doesn't fully trust you? It's painful. What's the hardest part about that? What's the hardest part about that? And it's okay to cry. What are you feeling right now? Before you answer, what are you feeling right now? Let it out. I feel like I fucked up my kid. And so what do you feel? What's the feeling? Give me a feeling word. Mad, sad, bad, glad, elated, frustrated, joyful, melancholy. What are you feeling right now as you think about the idea that I may have fucked up my kids? What do you feel? I'm guilty, devastated. Um, Maybe I can't ever fix it. Yeah, that's heavy stuff. And so let me ask you then, we're talking about this idea of shit rolling downhill or what some people call the smart people call. I call it that, but the smart people, really smart people call it generational trauma. (laughs) What are you doing in your life in terms of therapy or in terms of healing yourself or addressing all those demons from the past? Are you actively engaged in some sort of uh, therapy on yourself? You talk about you've gotten your kids into it, which is fantastic, but what, what about for yourself? I've been in therapy multiple times over the years, and I've had multiple traumatic experiences in therapy. So as of right now, I'm about to quit again and rely on your book because therapy, I'm not willing to spend eight to 10 sessions before I realize that it's not going to help again or have another traumatic experience with somebody who is 
I'm just bringing around the Rosie. It's not going anywhere. What's the biggest thing that you feel is missing from your therapy with the different therapist counselors that you've been to? What do you wish there were more of? What's lacking or what's there that you wish wasn't there? What is it that's unfulfilling about it for you? With my current therapist, I feel like she's probably a really decent person, but I don't like her. We just don't click. I'm not willing to trust her right now. I'm not entirely. What's the primary reason you don't like? What's the her? primary reason you don't like her and don't trust her? What does it really boil down to in one sentence or less? Because I've never had a positive experience in therapy. Oh, so you're wait. So I've, I've been I've, ambushed in therapy. So uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just so I'm clear. I asked you what you don't like and don't trust about this one. And then you made a statement about all of your therapy. I've never had a good experience. I've been ambushed in therapy. So what you're saying is it's not really about this person per se. This is the reason I don't like her. The reason I don't trust her and open up to her is because of past experiences I've had. Is that correct? Probably. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. At least you're honest. I respect that. Um, and is there something about this person in particular that you do not trust? I can't put my finger on it yet, but something Do your about best. If you were to her, take a shot at it, what is it about her that causes you to not want to open up to her? I think it's her tone of voice. I think she's, I feel like she's talking to me like I'm a small child instead of respecting that I'm an adult. Fair enough. I can understand that. Nobody fucking likes that shit. Um, right. Right. I hate. Not fucking, even kids. Right. Right. <laughs> Did we ever like it in elementary school? No. <laughs> no. No, I understand that. So then, so then we're still stuck with the problem, though. And what we're stuck with is that you've got a lot of shit from your own childhood. And we already know that that has been engaged in the past. And you were very mean to your children, beyond mean, abusive, yeah. by your own admission, which, again, I respect that you admit that. Um, and so. What's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to open up? And you said, you're, you know, you've got my book now. Are you willing to do the work in the book? Because it still requires you opening up. Whether you do it with a therapist or you do it to yourself. I've only some, had the book for a week. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. And you so. said, and in your paragraph that you wrote into us, uh, my producers in the last week, you said, I'm struggling to get through the first few questions. And... What really is it in those first few questions or what is it you're struggling to get through? Question number three asks me to go into great detail on the most traumatic memory I have or experience I've been through. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm like, I don't know what the most traumatic experience would be. Okay. I can't put a, on a scale of one to 10, which one was the worst. Okay. And I, and I get that. I get that a lot. And what I should have included when I wrote that part of the book is pick one. Pick a big one. Even if it's not the biggest, pick one and start there. Start with that one and detail all of it. And every last fucking detail you can remember, even if you only remember four details, or and then all the feelings that you feel regarding it, just pick one. And write as much as you can possibly think of, well, why did I, well, why did I feel that way? And then journal that out. And well, what was really going on inside of me when that particular piece happened? And then journal about that. And so you're writing your questions down and writing your answers down. And flush and flush and flush as much as you possibly can on that incident. And then you know what you do? You go on to the next one. Whatever the other big one is, or maybe there's a medium one. But what's going to have to happen in this Cassidy if you genuinely desire to heal so that you can become a better parent and so that you can just become fucking happier in your life, 
because you're flat out saying you're fucking miserable to the point of just a few years ago, you were suicidal, all right? Having been suicidal myself, I know it's a fucking miserable place to be. So this is where you've been. This is sort of still where you are. Your self-hatred level is at roughly 50%. You know, that's a lot. And so you have a choice. And the choice is, at, the, the question is, at what point am I really gonna fucking open up and go into this shit? Because your seven-year-old child doesn't trust you, or at least not fully. Okay, then the obligation's on you. I know. I, and I know you know that. And I, I'm not, <laughs> I, and I don't want that to come off as scolding, but just sort of emphasis that you have to open up, even if you only open up to yourself, even if it's just in this journaling, even if this is where it starts, maybe at some point in the future, you'll decide to go to counseling with X, Y, or Z, or come to counseling with me, or whatever it is. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll just say, fuck this shit, I'm gonna do it completely on my own. <laughs> but if that's where you're gonna start it, you're gonna have to open up to all those feelings. And you're going to have to be deliberate about flushing them out. One of the things you talk about in your paragraph you mentioned is, um, and this is a really honest statement, especially if you have five fucking kids. I only had two, all right? So you're already at two and a half times anything I ever fucking did. And um, But you say, I have no idea how to take the space to heal while actively parenting and not making things worse. Okay. Um, right. You're going to make things worse if you don't take the space to heal. If you don't make well, this. How do I help them not feel like I've abandoned them while I'm taking an hour in my bedroom to feel like shit for an hour and then come back and be okay? Okay, let me tell you what my mom did in the parenting of her six kids. She would close the door. And, you know, and, uh, you know as they get older, it gets easier because, well, you've already got at least one or two at school. Right. I'm a homeschool mom. You're, oh, goodness. You're <laughs> right. But in the case of even your older ones, it's teaching them that, you know, I'm going to take an hour alone because no child needs 100% constant attention from the parent and constant validation and so forth. And in fact, it's good for the child to learn to entertain themselves, to play on their own, that, you know, that, oh, I need to take this phone call or I need to go take, uh, um, my mom used to take half hour bits here and there and she would go into her bedroom. She'd close the door. And what she used to do, her, her sister was a nurse uh, during World War II and so forth. And her sister always, who would spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on her feet, she would go into a room and elevate her feet. And so my mom would go into her bedroom and she'd scoot her butt up about six inches, 12 inches from the wall, and she'd put her legs up in the air and just let all the blood drain out of her feet. And that was sort of her way of taking time. Maybe she'd read, maybe she'd close her eyes, and she would just ask, you know, um, not to interrupt, but I know there were times where I would interrupt, and she'd be gracious or whatever. But um, so that is one thing, is conveying it to the child that I, I'm going to take this time. The other option, though, is also this, or another option is taking time for yourself when the children are asleep. Now, you need your sleep too, indisputable. And I am a huge believer that few things are more important than sleep. Few things. But maybe it's you taking time. Maybe it's not every day. Maybe it is. But maybe it's you know a few days a week to start. Or maybe you wake up early. Whichever your best time of day is, whether it's mornings or nights, if you had to pick between those two, which 
are you clearer? When do you have better energy yourself? Morning or night? Neither. By the end of the day, I'm exhausted. And in the morning, I struggle to get out of the bed. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. My alarm will go off at 5 a.m., which is when I want to be awake. And I will be like, not happening today. Unless someone's banging at the door, it is not happening today. (laughs) And so then when will Um, you get out of bed, just out of curiosity? It's inconsistent. Sometimes at 5 and I do okay, and sometimes it's 7.30. Fair enough. And But do you get up with the kids then and, you know, get them going in the morning? Is that so? Is mm-hmm. your first kid usually up around seven thirty? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, no. Um, if I need to sleep in or I need to do something for myself first thing in the morning, I'll leave the remote to the TV out. He won't bug me till seven. Gotcha, gotcha. He'll be up at five, four thirty, five o'clock because he thinks he needs to be on the TV. Uh huh. So if I don't want to be bothered for two hours, right? I leave the, the remote out. Okay. And so I guess what I'm wondering is what's it going to take for you to become deliberate about your own healing? Because every day that you don't heal is another day that um, you are, as to use your words, I have no idea how to take the space to heal while actively parenting and not making things worse. Right. You have to. At some point, not because I say so, but because your own guilt, your own feelings that you are letting your children down, that you are making things worse, at some point that has to kick in enough that you're willing to make whatever sacrifice is necessary, whether it's an hour in the middle of your day, whether it's 30 minutes in the middle of your day, where you just get out in your car and you go out and you park in front of the house, park in the fucking garage if you want, and you just close your eyes and meditate for 20 minutes and then, or maybe you journal for, you know, 30 minutes or whatever it is. And maybe you do a different thing each time, but you have to begin to be very deliberate about all this shit inside of you, because if you're not even able to get out of bed and that's, I mean, let's be honest, that's somewhat common with parenting, right? That's part of the human uh, condition to some degree, right? We all have those days, but you've got a massive load on your shoulder and you've got another baby coming. And so you've got that taxation on your body from inside of you, that taxation on your hormones, of what pregnancy can do, you got- oh, pregnancy is easy. Okay, fair enough. And so everybody's different. Everybody's different. But the bottom line is at some point, you have got to be deliberate about doing this work, dude, because it, it'll it chew you up from inside. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think the single biggest pain is from your past that most is still infecting you to this day and affecting your parenting? I struggle to make myself a priority because I've never been anybody else's priority. So from a very young age, I knew if I didn't take care of it, it wasn't going to get done. And maybe I just didn't want to because maybe I shouldn't have to. And didn't want so to now what? I'm not my own priority. And, and right. And so you didn't want to what? Make yourself a priority back then? Um, do what the adult was supposed to do. Oh. Uh. And so you're 29 now, going on 30. And what do you think it's going to take to make your own healing a priority? Learning to trust myself again. I don't think that I don't, I I don't think it's not that I feel like it's not a priority. I think a big chunk of it is the fact that I don't trust that I'm actually going to do it, whether it's a priority or not. 
You don't trust oh that you're God. actually Two actually going to do I what? I stopped trusting myself. You don't trust that you're actually going to do Most what? anything. I don't believe I'll get up in the morning when the alarm goes off. I don't trust myself to, you know, I set the book out to make sure I look in, I read the next chapter and try to do the questions and stuff. And then the it's difficult to step away. Um, I actually have my oldest two are autistic and leaving them unattended sometimes means somebody has a black eye when I come out of the room. Um, so it is it's kind of scary to step away. I don't want my boys, my oldest two, to hurt anybody else. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is, if my kids are my priority, how am I the priority? Right. And I understand the concept that making my healing a priority is making them a priority. Mm-hmm. But in the moment of not of needing to take space, it generally is very inconvenient to take space because my children are not generally in a good place when I need the space too. We're all triggered at the same time. And if I don't take space, it gets worse. So I, I do. But then when I come back out of my room, it's like, okay, who hit whom? Who's lying? Who's telling the truth? And why is this broken? And the, the, <laughs> the question of how do I make space for myself and make myself a priority and make my kids a priority, that is the struggle of every parent. You know, especially whichever one is, you know, most hands-on or, you know, if it's split parenting, if I've got them for this week by myself, how do I make myself priority while making the child a priority? And the more children you have, the harder it is for obvious reasons. That, I mean, that just, that just makes sense. Let me uh, spitball something and then you tell me, you correct it or tell me I'm totally off base or you, I don't need, care if I'm wrong, all right? I just want to understand it sounds to me like you are so unbelievably fucking overwhelmed in your life, in every aspect of your life. You got all this shit from your past. You got what's going on with your body, feeling heavy from all the stuff of your past, feeling heavy because of the baby inside of you, feeling heavy because of all of your responsibilities in the present, and you just want to rest. You just want to close your eyes for a long time. And I'm not even talking about suicide. I'm just talking fucking peace and quiet and fucking rest and to be able to breathe. Is that somewhat accurate? Yeah. Mm. I'm sorry for how hard it is. I can't say it's okay because it's not, but it'll get better at some point. Well, and let me ask you, just out of curiosity, um, I respect anybody who homeschools. I respect that. A lot of work. But I respect uh, homeschooling. I really do. And, uh, you know, that puts quite a burden on you. I presume you're the one conducting the homeschooling? Most of the time. Um, we homeschool because we were failed by the public school system multiple times. My special education kids were in four different elementary schools. Um, I was gaslit. I was told, you're just the mom. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. Trust me, I'm the expert. But my child is miserable, and we're not getting any better at home or at school. So if I can even do it as mediocre as you can, I can do it better. Okay, well, wait. If it's not any different at home versus at school, what's the advantage then of doing it at home? My son and I aren't experiencing the high levels of anxiety of going to school. Uh, Fair enough. But at least at home, we can manage things. And fair enough. Where he's at. That's fair. Let me uh, ask you this question. But isn't having those extra kids at home coming at a very, very different price? I don't think so. 
I mean, would your load would your load be lightened if all of your school age kids? And I'm not pushing you to do this. We're just having a conversation. Okay. Right. Wouldn't your load be lightened if all of your kids that were school age were actually in school? Wouldn't you have at no, least a hair? I had severe anxiety with them at school. And is that well? Wait a minute. Now, is that because of what you said earlier that basically um, I have issues with control? Was that because of your issues with regard to control or was that because of the actual school? Because you opened this session by basically saying, I really, I never had control. And so I really, really struggle hard with letting right. go of control. So if you were to, if you were to just spitball it, what percent of the issues you had with your children being in school, what percent were your issues with the school itself? And what percent, if you're being honest, were your own control issues? Was it 60, 40, 40, 60, 20, 80? What are we talking about? Oh, 85% the school. 85% the school. Are there other schools in your area? Um, we've moved 11 times in nine years. Wow. And I've been told the schools out here are not very good for autism. Uh, just, so just, I'm not going to trust them. Fair enough. Um, so then I guess I'm wondering, you see the problem, you articulate the mm -hmm. problem is me, the problem is, or part of the problem, you know, not the whole thing, of course, but I see my share of uh, the problem and what I'm causing. And I was abusive towards my children to the point where I lost control and I've had large memory gaps. That's how out of control I was. And we're just a couple right. years removed from that. You see how you are out of energy. And I barely want to get out of bed in the morning. And a lot of mornings, I just don't. And I also see how it's my past that is causing so much of what's going on. And I know I need to heal that shit, but I don't have a drop of energy in the day to heal that shit. So I guess what I'm wondering is, what do you see as the solution? The first real glimmer of hope in finding a solution is finding the podcast. This podcast? Didn't even know your book existed. And why does that give you the glimmer of hope of a solution? What is it about it? If therapy is going to take years to heal what's going on, and the book can help me do it by March, which is what I'm hoping because that's what I'm due, I'd like to be in a much better place by then. Anyway. That's fair. Then that's where I'm at because I don't have time. My children don't have time for me to sit around and stick around with a therapist who doesn't give two shits. And that means you're going to have to buckle down and do the work. You have to. Yeah. I've spent a few late nights so far. That's good. And the truth is, this is, this is really, this is life or death with regard to your children. You have the power. Your children are only seven. Your oldest is only seven. Whatever damage you have done and your husband has done can be reversed. Right. This is not permanent. And the I feel like that's the only hope right there, well, the fact that I can fix it. You can. You absolutely can. And I admire the fact that you want to and that you're trying. And I applaud you for trying, Mom, because truth is you got five kids and one more on the way. You got your own shit from your past. You got a lot on your plate, but you're stepping up to the plate because it's like, fuck that shit. I want to do better for my kids. And that's awesome. And the bottom line is this. And now I'm going to speak on behalf of your kids. Okay give words to really, in a way, what you already know because you experienced it yourself. Yeah. You, you have to do this. You have to. 
It's that important. And what really it is that you have to do is not, yes, it's it's parent better, but you've already read some great parenting books. And there, there's another one out there that I recommend. It's called Scream Free Parenting. And a brilliant, brilliant book. It was a bestseller in its day. Um, but the point is, it's not about becoming a better parent. It's about you healing you. There is nothing, there is nothing, there is nothing that will impact your parenting more than you having the courage to go into that shit and begin to identify it. And if you gotta start small, start small. Start medium, start medium. You wanna start with something huge, start with something huge. But you have to start that process, like that question you brought up, single biggest traumatic event, start with one thing. Fuck, start with yesterday when that guy cut you off in traffic. Start there, <laughs> right? And all your feelings surrounding that. And then take on the next memory you have that's charged and keep doing it. But this is life or death. This is your children's future. This is your children's marriage. This is, you know, your daughter when she gets to be 14. Did she have a mother and a father who supported her and poured love into her love cup? Or did she never really get enough so that when she meets her first boyfriend, she sells the farm, gives him everything, says, I'll do anything. Just give me a little bit of love in return. And now we've got the beginnings of an extreme giver. Now we've got the beginnings of a daughter or a son giving up everything about themselves just to whoever they love or whatever it is, just to feel a little bit of worth. See, you have the chance right now to short circuit that. You have the chance to begin to fill their love cup and it begins with making your love cup a priority, which means going into your love cup and pulling out all the pain, all the fears, all the bullshit you were taught about yourself. You have to do this, Cassidy. And the mere fact that you've begun the process says that you're, you're serious and it's gonna be hard. But the harder you work, the deeper you go, you accelerate that process of healing. This is doable, but it's on your shoulders. And I and you see the stakes, the price, if you don't. What is this? Healed people don't hurt people. Well, generally speaking, right. They do accidentally. Even healed people hurt <laughs> Not people intentionally. Accident. Right, and, right. And so let me And ask, if they do, and it's part of their awareness, they're healed enough to say, yeah, I, I'm sorry. And so let me ask you one final question. It's simply this. Moving forward, what is your single biggest fear? In all of this, in this whole equation of your life and your parenting and your past and your kids and your marriage and your everything, what is your single biggest fear in all of this? That if I fail at healing myself, they take this into adulthood. My husband was abused as a kid. I was, you know, manipulated, um, verbally abused as a kid. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't have that. And this is one of those, and this is one of those cases where fear can be a powerful motivator to do good. That the pain of that thought of your kids entering their teen years, because they can go fucking awry in their teen years. They can go awry right now. I was counseling a client today who remembers being eight years old and feeling completely alone in life. And that's when he just checked, he stopped trying in school. Eight years old, eight that's second grade, Eight, third grade, checked out, stopped trying. So you feel the weight of what can happen. Not that you need me to oh, emphasize yeah. it, but it's all in your hands right now. You have the power to change the trajectory of six beautiful little lives. And I believe in you, and I mean that, Cassidy. I respect the hell out of you Thanks. for coming on. And, and talking about your shortcomings, talking about your frustrations, but also your eagerness 
to heal. And, and I applaud you for that. And I really do hope that you'll make that a priority. And if you can't do it every day, at least a bunch of days each week. But maybe you'll get to the point, the more you begin to see some momentum, that you'll wanna do more. It's like when you go to the gym and all of a sudden you've been working out for a month and it's like, oh, I'm starting to see my abs or I'm starting to see my biceps. Well, now I wanna work out harder or something, I'm feeling stronger. Now I wanna work out more. The more you do this, you're gonna start to pick up some momentum. So I wanna thank you so much for coming on the show, Cassidy. Um, any final questions or uh, uh, that you have for me? I don't know necessarily if I have a, a final question, but I think a big driving factor, aside from knowing I needed to find my own healing, is I'm not, I'm not alone. There are other moms who have been through the same postpartum rage, postpartum psychosis that are undiagnosed and not helped mm -hmm. and no one knows mm -hmm. and no one's there. And I would encourage you to, and that is absolutely true. I would encourage you to Google search moms groups. Uh, you can go to nami.org, N-A-M-I.org, uh, Google in your area, because sometimes being able to talk it out, even if it's once a month in a women's group, a mom's group, or a postpartum group, something like that, being able to talk about precisely to your point, to know that I am not alone, to gain comfort, to gain strength from the stories of others and getting my story out there. I would encourage you to explore that because I know for fact there are groups out there, whether it be on Facebook or on Google or in your community or through a local, you know, through your local synagogue or, you know, the, maybe a women's group hosts it, uh, whatever it might be. But I would encourage you to look into that. Thank you so much for being on the show, Cassidy. And I hope you'll stick around for just one minute afterwards. Thank you. You betcha. And thanks to all of you listening in around the world. This has been a fascinating episode of the Badass Counseling Show. On behalf of Casey and Rob, thanks for tuning in and have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.